Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit family? It's great to see you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I really do appreciate it. I'm so glad that you are here. I also want to welcome all of you that are watching online, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us. I'm so glad that you've taken time out of your day to worship with us. Pray that God blesses you. Uh, my name is Mel Massengale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'm grateful for our worship team, our production team. And so you've probably already had a good experience. I hope it only gets better. I uh, want to let you know about something. Um, I promise every week I'm not going to be giving you a COVID-19 update, uh, but I felt like I needed to update you today. Um, there was some confusion this last week on uh, Governor Wolf's orders that he put out restricting meeting sizes and things like that. Just to give you the heads up, um, houses of worship are exempt from virtually every order unless they explicitly say so. So if you don't see anything about churches, it means that we're still gonna keep doing what we've been doing. And just so you know, what we've done as a church is uh, I have consulted with some doctors and physicians in our area that are part of our church and asked them to speak into some of our policies to make sure that we are doing everything possible to keep you safe and to make sure this place is clean and it's a good environment for you and for your family. And so we've taken a number of uh, steps over and above what we normally do that's been guided by doctors and physicians that we know and trust. And so at this point, we feel good about the, uh, the, the steps and procedures we have in place. And uh, not to say we wouldn't adjust or change if we needed to, but at this point, unless you hear from us specifically that something is going to change, how we're doing it or what we're doing, um, no matter what you hear out of Harrisburg, we're going to continue to meet. We're going to continue to meet in the way that we are right now uh, until we can begin to ease off some of these things. And so, uh, so for the time being, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and uh, <laughs> Okay. One person's like, yeah, and then everybody else is like, okay, yeah, we got to clap too. <laughs> Feel bad for this person over here, so yeah, we'll clap. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, that's just where we're at. That's what we're doing. Um, and so we understand that the, our church is a leader in our community, and we are influencing other churches. And so other churches are doing some things a little different than us, but at the end of the day, we're encouraging other churches to do the same thing we're doing. Just use wisdom. Um, Let's, let's be smart about what we're doing. Let's not put ourselves in a position to be criticized unjustly. And, uh, and let's just use wisdom. And so we would encourage you guys to do the same thing, just use wisdom. With that in mind, something I would love to ask you guys to do is uh, just remember that not everybody may feel the same way you do about meeting and gathering. And so over the last few weeks, we've had more and more people gathering in the East Lobby after the service is over with just to visit. And although I love that, and part of me is like, yeah, I want to stand there with you and talk. There are some people that, as they're coming out of the kids, or kids wing, they might feel a little uncomfortable trying to navigate a sea of humanity out there. And so do me a favor. If you want to visit, you can stay and visit as long as you want. We're not going to restrict you. But we would prefer if you just step right outside the doors and have the conversation out there. And, uh, or better yet, if you, if you want to connect with another family, go get lunch together or go sit at a park together, whatever it is. But just take it out of the lobby so that we're making sure we're giving plenty of space to the people around us. We just want to be considerate of the others that are coming through. Uh, and then the last thing I would mention to you, we are making an adjustment to some of the things we had planned 
Um, we had originally scheduled, well, every year our kids go to, our, our students go to youth camp. And this year, because of COVID-19, they canceled youth camp. And so we were going to do something in person here, uh, just our own event. And as we looked at it and talked about it, we just felt like it was wise for us not to do that uh, for a number of reasons. Logistically, uh, just some of the concerns that parents had, we felt like it was better for us to cancel that. And so I just want to let you know, we won't be doing that event. That's uh, camp quarantine, as they were calling it. Uh, so camp quarantine has been canceled. And then we also do a VBS for kids that we call Summer XP. And we've made the decision to cancel Summer XP this year as well. And none of these decisions are made lightly or easily. Uh, I struggle with them because I have strong feelings about a lot of this stuff. And uh, as a leader, sometimes I have to lay down some of my strong feelings about certain things to do what's best for our organization and the people in our organization. And so we felt like this was the, the, the wisest move for us overall. But as far as our weekend services and experiences go, we're going to continue to navigate these the same way we have. So if you've got questions about any of that, please let us know. We're happy to visit with you about it, talk about it, and to uh, go into more detail about some of the steps we've taken to ensure that this place is as clean and healthy as possible. So again, thank you so much for your grace. I promise I'm going to do my best not to talk about this every week because if you think you're sick of it, I promise I'm more sick of it than you are. So uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being at church. Thank you for watching online. It really is uh, so good to have you today. I appreciate it. And we are continuing today our series that we started three weeks ago on the book of Jonah. And uh, I love the book of Jonah. It's really interesting. I think we could do 10 weeks on it if we wanted to, because uh, there's so much to it. Uh, but we'll be finishing up next week. I want to encourage you to join us for that. Um, week one, we looked at Jonah chapter one. And Jonah chapter one and three are similar. There's some, some parallel ideas, uh, symmetry there, because what we see in Jonah chapter one is that Jonah is engaging with uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, unbelievers, and same thing in Jonah chapter three. We're gonna see that today. And Jonah chapter two, he's engaging God. He's talking to God. So at the end of Jonah chapter two, he, he well, he was, uh, at the end of Jonah chapter one, he's thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a great fish. Uh, a whale is, swallows him and he sits in the belly of the whale. So Jonah chapter two is Jonah just talking to God while he's in the belly of this whale. Um, and then we get to Jonah chapter three is where we're at today. And what we see in Jonah chapter four Spoiler alert, jo Jonah talks to God again in Jonah chapter four. So it's more a conversation between him and God. But I'm telling you, there's so much there you don't wanna miss next week. Steph did a great job last week bringing the word and preaching uh, through Jonah chapter two. And I would encourage you to check that out. Um, just to give you a little context, uh, the Assyrians were the world empire at this time. Uh, they were the, the dominant empire on the scene. They were known as the terrorists of the ancient world because of their brutality and how they engaged their enemies. Um, and so what we see is they were not very well liked by other nations, and they were the ones who were kind of running the show at the time. Um, we have Jonah, who was a prophet, and God says to Jonah, go to the Assyrians, to Nineveh, and Jonah does the opposite. Um, and this is kind of the theme for the book of Jonah. What we see over and over and over in the book of Jonah is people behaving in ways you don't expect them to behave. So we see people doing things that are unexpected, and we'll see that even today. And so Jonah does something unexpected. He disobeys God. He goes the opposite direction, gets into a boat. The boat gets into trouble. He tells them to throw him over. He ends up in the belly of a whale. And at the end of chapter two, 
God instructs this, this fish or this whale to spit Jonah up on dry land. And so sure enough, this is what happens. So as we pick up chapter three, um, this is where he's on dry land, he's sitting there, and I don't know about you, does anybody like the smell of fish? Okay, I was about to call somebody a liar. Somebody's like, yeah, I really like it. I'll rub it on my face or, you know. <laughs> Nobody does, right? That's why, like, when you're talking about something smelling bad, you're like, ugh, it smells fishy, right? Can you imagine? Ladies, some of you have had your husbands come home from fishing, and you're like, ugh, just, yeah, go shower. Don't even kiss me or hug me. Just go shower because you smell bad. Can you imagine what your husband would smell like if they spent three days inside the fish? That's no good, right? It takes a lot more than soap and water to wash that stank off of them. And this is how Jonah ends up on the shore. He ends up on the shore. He's covered in fish guts. I'm sure he smelled terrible. And I used to imagine that he was spit up on dry land and he like rolls to a stop and he looks up and he's at the foot of Nineveh. Like here he is, like at Nineveh, but that's not how it was. In fact, what we see is the closest he probably would have been would have been about 400 miles from Nineveh. Or, I'm sorry, 600 miles. That's about how far he would have had to gone. And he's not jumping in his car. He's not taking a bus or a train. It would have taken him a while. I don't know about you. Have you ever lost an argument with someone, maybe your spouse or a boss or something like that? And maybe you felt a little bit like, um, like okay, I lost, but I'm still gonna prove that I'm right. <laughs> now, none of you have ever done that because you love Jesus too much, I'm sure. But I've heard of people who have done that before. And so what happens is we kind of hope it doesn't work so that we can go, see, I told you. Like, that's kind of our hope. And if we're gonna be honest, I think this is Jonah's, this is Jonah's uh, position. I think this is how he had postured himself, is that he was like, okay, fine, God, I'm gonna go, but we're gonna see how this works out. So this is where we pick it up. In Jonah chapter three, verse one, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, he tells Jonah to go, and this parallels what we see in Jonah chapter one when he says the first time, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So he says almost the same thing, but we see in chapter three, it says the second time, and this is what I'm so grateful of. Aren't you thankful that our God is a God of second chances? He is a God that when we mess it up the first time, He's gonna give us another shot to get it right. And I'm grateful that he's not just a God of second chances, but he's also a God of third chances and fourth chances and 10th chances, right? I'm grateful for that. And here we have God giving Jonah a second chance saying, here's what you need to do. Because the truth is God didn't need Jonah. It wasn't like, man, Jonah has to do this because if he doesn't, I don't know how we're gonna do it. God wasn't worried. God could have done it however he wanted to do it. God could have, uh, could have written uh, you know, a message in the sky, in the clouds to the Ninevites. He could have done it if he wanted to. He could have spoken audibly. He could have done anything he wanted to that didn't include Jonah if he wanted, but he didn't. See, the Ninevites didn't need Jonah. The Ninevites needed God. Jonah needed God to use him though, and Jonah didn't even know it. So when Jonah says, God, I'm not gonna go to Nineveh, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do, what he was saying is, God, I don't know if I can really trust you. You want me to go do something that seems risky, so I'm not gonna do it. I think I know better than you. So when God turns his direction and takes him back to Nineveh, he's not doing it for Nineveh, he's doing it for Jonah because he wants Jonah to be part of his plan. Now, I want you to hear this. 
There are things that God will ask you to do in your life and you're gonna say no. And it's not costing the kingdom because God's still gonna do, fulfill his purposes and plans with or without you. The question is, will you be used the way God wants to use you? What are you leaving on the table when you don't be obedient to what God's asking you to do? There was a uh, football coach, college football coach, at the University of Oklahoma for years. His name was Barry Switzer. Now, Barry Switzer was, uh, he was either loved or hated by virtually everyone in the state of Oklahoma because of the way he coached. He was arrogant and cocky, and uh, he got busted for paying players and all kinds of things. Um, But one of the things he did in their heyday when they were winning national championships, he would go into a recruit's home, top recruits in the nation. He would go into a recruit's home and he would say something like this. Hey, we're going to win a national championship with or without you. The question is, do you want to be involved? Do you want to win a national championship too? And there's something about that as a leader I kind of like. Like it kind of appeals to me, his his confidence, his, his some of the bravado that he's saying, this is where the train is going, whether you're on the train or not. If you want to be part of this, then get on board. Let's go. And this is kind of what God is saying. God is saying, hey, Jonah, I'm going to go do something. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be involved. I want to use you for this. You need it worse than the Ninevites need it. But Jonah didn't recognize that. And what I'm telling you today is there are things God's going to invite you to be part of. God doesn't need you. It's not like he's trying to figure out how to reach the people in your office. There's no other way. He's going to do it with or without you. But he wants to use you. He wants to use you to reach the people in your, in your family. He wants to use you to reach the people in your community, in your neighborhood. He wants to use you to reach the, your office. He wants to use you. And what you are forfeiting by saying no, you will never understand what you're lay, leaving on the table, what you're leaving behind by saying, nope, I've got my own plans. I'm doing my own thing. But he invites Jonah. Jonah, I want you to be a part of this. It's big, it's important. Verse three, it says, so Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Again, it's a 600 mile journey. It's a long way. I can imagine him grumbling along the way a little bit. I'll show him. I'm gonna get there and they're gonna kill me. I know how this is gonna go. I'm gonna get there. None of them are gonna repent. I'll show him then. I'll have the last laugh. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. So if you look at a map of ancient Nineveh, it is, uh, it's longer, it's, it's kind of rectangular shaped. Um, it was about 1,800 acres, but it was longer than it was, uh, than it was wide, if that makes sense. And so if, to go from one end to the other, it was a three-day journey, a three-day walk across the city, uh, sort of like Indiana, Pennsylvania, right? I'm just kidding. I love Indiana. It's just funny when I have visitors like come in, they're like, hey, I'd love to see the city. I'm like, okay. Here's a statue of Jimmy Stewart. Who? Jimmy Stewart. Wonderful life. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Here's where Jimmy Stewart lived growing up. Who? Jimmy Stewart. Here's IUP. And here's the Meadows. Ta-da! Like that's it, right? That's all we need. It doesn't take very long. We can get through the Indiana tour pretty quickly. Not so with Nineveh. It took you much longer. So what we see is he shows up to the city. It's a huge city, walled. It's a citadel. It's large. This is the capital of the most powerful nation in the world. And his expectations are, I'm going to go in here and they're going to mock me, at least mock me, maybe at worst kill me. 
And verse 4 says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So he was the third of the way into the city. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is a really simple message. In the Hebrew in the Hebrew language which he spoke, this was only five words. Literally, this was a five-word sermon that he spoke. So what he doesn't say in this five-word message is, um, he doesn't identify what they've done to be overthrown. He doesn't identify who's going to be doing the overthrowing. And he also doesn't identify, according to Scripture, um, what they need to do to avoid being overthrown. What he does is he just speaks truth to them, right? He just tells them like it is. This is how it's going to be. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now what we can infer is probably a conversation happened. Probably there was some engagement where they said, now wait a second, what's happening here? What's hap- what is going to happen? Who's doing what? And they probably talked this through because what we see is their response. So just because it doesn't say it explicitly doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So he just tells them, here's what's going to happen to the city. You You think you're tough, you think you're strong, you think you're supreme, but guess what? Something bad is coming your way. Judgment is coming. Verse five says, and the people of Nineveh Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the people did something that no one, not even Jonah was anticipating. They repented. They believed God. This is incredible, right? Right? I can imagine Jonah, he, he says that, and he's waiting, let's see what they do. And they're like, okay, we believe God. He's like, wait, wait what? what? What just happened here? You, no, 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 it's okay, you don't have to do that. Like, I can imagine him trying to talk him out of whatever it might be. He couldn't believe it. I'm sure he was shocked. Uh, this is the last thing he would have expected when he went to Nineveh, I'm sure. But the people responded. It says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the greatest of them would have been their king. And so we see in Jonah chapter three, verse six, it said the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So if you've been around church and you've read scripture some, you might've seen sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, where people would, would put on sackcloth and ashes. And basically it's a sign of mourning. So what they would do is they would take what was going on in their hearts and they would project it out. And, uh, and what it would do is it would invite people to mourn with them. In the world we live in today, in Western culture, we hide our feelings a lot. Or, or worse yet, we just post our feelings on Facebook, which is not healthy either. Anyway, so what we do is we hide our feelings. And we go, how are you? I'm great. Life is good. But inside, we're struggling and we're hurting. And what, what the Hebrew people would do and what this ancient cultures would do is they would put on sackcloth and sit in ashes or cover themselves with ashes in order to show people what was going on in their heart. And what that would do is it would invite people to mourn with them. And so it was not uncommon for people to mourn together when something tragic was happening or, or going to happen or they're in the middle of something. And so what the king does, which is so significant, is the king takes off his robe and he puts on sackcloth. Now, We've talked a little about robes before. One of the things I think is so interesting about the robes of kings is that many kings in ancient cultures, they would, uh, whenever they would vanquish another army, they would take a piece of the robe from the king that they conquered and they would attach it to their own robe. So the bigger their robe was, the more indicative it was of how powerful they were. So their robe sent a message to people who visited them about how strong they were, about how powerful they were, about their dominion. And so in this moment, when the king says, hey, we believe 
So he takes off his robe and puts on sackcloth. What he's doing is he's removing his own authority. He's removing his own dominion, his own power. And he's saying, I am nothing before whoever this God is. So I'm taking off my, uh, my authority and my power and I'm putting on sackcloth as a sign of humility is a sign of mourning because I recognize what's coming our way. Now, this is so interesting to me because not only did the king do it, the, the, whole, the whole city did it from the least to the greatest. Now, you have to ask the question, why would this happen? If this was the king of the most powerful nation in the world, why in the world, if some stranger showed up and said in 40 days, Nineveh was gonna be overturned, would they just go, yeah, you're right. And one of the things that I found is that historically, there are a number of things leading up to this moment that probably primed the pump a little bit for the Assyrians to respond this way. What we see is that there were a series of famines, plagues, revolts, and there were even documented eclipses that happened leading up to this. And the Assyrians were probably like a lot of people, very superstitious. They had a number of gods and they were waiting. All these things that had happened were like an omen. They felt like there's something else coming. There is something worse about to happen. And so when the stranger shows up and he preaches about a God that they really didn't know and they hear that judgment is coming, their hearts are receptive to it. I was talking to somebody um, before the service today about uh, a tragedy that has befallen somebody that they're friends with. And I just said, you know what? One of the things I've discovered in my life are, is people are most receptive to God when their life is bottomed out. Unfortunately, isn't that true? When things are horrible, when we lose our job, when we get the cancer diagnosis, whenever our, we find out our spouse wants to divorce us, whatever it is, that is the moment that we were like, okay, whatever needs to happen, I'm open, God. I just need you to show up in this moment. And I think because of all these circumstances that had happened in the Assyrian culture, they realized something needs to change. Something's happening. Something needs to shift because what we're doing is not working. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, every sin in our life that is unrepentant, every sin that we live in that, um, that is outside of God's purposes and plans for us, that's, that, is, that is in opposition to the word of God, if we live in that with an unrepentant heart, it's going to attract a storm. A storm will come into our life because of that. And that is, I hate to say it this way, that is God's judgment but God's judgment isn't to punish us, it's to restore us, it's to reconcile us. So, so what happened is the Assyrians have these storms coming through and these storms are just softening them up. They're preparing the soil for the seed that, that Jonah is going to plant. It's just getting them ready for what God wants to speak. Now I want you to hear this. Maybe you're someone who's going through a storm. I said this a couple of weeks ago too. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean you've got sin that you need to fix. So every storm, I'm sorry, every sin is attached to a storm, but not every storm is attached to a sin. There are storms that come through our lives because we are human beings and we live in a fallen world. So sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes a flat tire is just a flat tire. Sometimes you get sick and it's just the world we live in, okay? But what we need to do is have a humble heart that says, God, if there's something going on, are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to reveal something to me? Is there anything about my life that's displeasing to you? If so, show me. And this is where the Assyrians were. This is so interesting because the Assyrians were terrible people by just about any, any standard. But yet they were open and receptive to hear from God when God said, judgment's coming your way. 
They recognized the storms and they recognized something needed to change. Verse seven says, and he, talking about the king, he issued a proclamation that was published throughout Nineveh and he said this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast cover, covered with sackcloth, or be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. I want you to catch the significance of this. <laughs> because the Ninevites and the king of Nineveh, in his zeal and in his desire to avoid punishment, he makes his proclamation. And he said, Hey, we're going to cover ourselves with sackcloth and ashes. We're going to fast. Well, who's going to fast? Everybody. So men, women, and children? Yeah, but that's not all. Well, who else? Your animals. Our animals are going to fast? That's right. <laughs> Your cats and dogs? No more eating for them. Your sheep? Your horses? Everything. We're all fasting. Why are we all fasting? We're going to cover our bases, right? We're going to make sure. We've got to do whatever it takes to make sure we keep this God at bay. We gotta make him happy. So if we all gotta do it, and literally they all did it, their cows, their sheep, all their livestock, no one ate or drank. This is crazy. Now, I love the, the passion behind this because in, in, their, in their naivete, they said, we're gonna force this hand, basically. We're gonna do whatever we need to do. This is a Hail Mary. And so the animals, nothing. They all fasted. They all put on sackcloth. Now, if this happened today, and we said, judgment is coming, how many people do you think would actually do what the Ninevites did? I mean, I think we'd have people that would say something like, I mean, that's a good idea if we fasted, but I'm really hungry and I want to get lunch. That'd be a good idea if we fasted, but how about if we just fast uh, my favorite television show? Yeah. How about if I just fast social media? How about if I just fast? But the Ninevites said, we will do whatever it takes. They took this seriously. And I'm not trying to point at you guys. I'm saying this is me too. I, I think I would struggle with this to some degree or another. But the Ninevites responded. The king of Nineveh said, we got to do whatever it takes to make this right. And I love what he says here. At the end of verse eight, he says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, violence was an active part of their lives as Assyrians. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, but the Assyrians were terribly violent. They, they treated conquered nations with brutality. And this is what they were known for. But it wasn't just something they did um, as an act of warfare. Um, they actually felt like warfare was an act of worship to their gods. So when we enter into warfare and conflict with other nations or people that are weaker than us, even in their own culture, if they would, if they would enter into conflict with someone that they deemed as weaker than them, it brought glory to their gods. That's how they felt. So you can imagine how they looked at violence, as they, how they looked at conflict with other people. They, they welcomed it. It's interesting, though, because this word um, that's interpreted as violence in the Hebrew, it's Hamas. And this word doesn't just mean violence, it means cruelty or injustice. And these are both things that the Assyrians were masters at. 
So when we think about violence, and I said, don't be violent to the people around you. You would think don't hit, don't attack, don't physically accost someone. But really, this word violence, it has a broader meaning, and its meaning is don't, don't show cruelty. Don't be cruel to other people around you. Don't be unjust to the people around you. And so what he says is, um, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, the injustice that's in your hands. So it's not just that we're gonna hurt somebody physically. How many of you know, many people in this church, many people in our world would never hurt somebody physically, but they don't mind assassinating somebody with their words. I'm gonna talk trash about that person because they hurt me. Did you see the way they looked at me? I can't even believe they would look at me that way. Well, I know why they did that. It's because, what are they doing? They've got injustice in their hands. They've got violence in their hands. So we might not be, actively attacking our neighbors or the people around us. But if we're gonna be honest, many of us have injustice in our hands. We have cruelty in our hands. We've got violence in our hands. In Proverbs chapter 22, it says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. The New Living Translation says, those who plant injustice will harvest disaster. And this is what the Assyrians knew. The Assyrians knew we've had issues We've had plagues, we've had riots, we've had famines, we've had all these things going on. And if we're getting these kind of results, maybe what we're planting is the wrong thing to get the harvest that we're getting. So maybe we need to try something different. We've been planting violence. We've been planting injustice. So maybe if we wanna see something different, we've gotta forsake the injustice that's in our hands. We've got to do something different than what we've been doing. The culture says, this is how we act. This is how we live. This is how we behave. This is how we, we, we think. But they said, from the king to the least of them, said, maybe something needs to change. Maybe, maybe the culture is wrong, and maybe we need to do something about the, the violence in our hands and the evil that's in our hearts. Maybe if we want a different harvest, we've got to plant something different. And the thing that's interesting to me is they recognize this isn't just a cultural issue, this is a me issue. This isn't just something overall that needs to be fixed, that somebody somewhere needs to do something about. This is something that, that I can do something about, that begins with me, that there are mindsets and views and beliefs that I have that are not right, that I can tackle, that I can change. And so this was both a corporate and an individual response where they said, God, we're gonna, we're gonna trust you we're gonna believe you in this moment. That they understood that the Hamas that was part of their culture couldn't be part of their culture any longer. Verse nine, the king says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. How many of you are encouraged whenever your boss or leader says, who knows? It always makes me a little nervous when people I trust in authority are like, well, who knows? Well, you're supposed to know, right? Like, that's why you're the boss. Come on. I found myself over the last four or five months saying who knows more than I would like. When are we going to reopen? Who knows? What are, what are they going to do about school? Who knows? I don't know. But the king here, he responds and says, Who knows? Man, we've tried other things. We've done what we could. Maybe this will work. Maybe, maybe this God will see us and his heart will relent. Maybe his heart will shift and we won't die. 
Who knows? It's kind of reminiscent of Jonah chapter one when Jonah's asleep in the boat and the boat is being tossed to and fro by the waves and the, the captain of the boat goes to Jonah and he says, why are you sleeping? We're all praying to our gods and nothing's happening. Pray to your God, maybe he will fix this problem. Right, he's saying, we don't know what to do, who knows? But give it a shot, try your God, who knows? What do we see? We see those men repent that day. Those men who were also all praying to their own gods, doing their own thing, in this moment, they have this moment of clarity where they see God work and their eyes are open and they recognize the one true God and they repent and they worship God. This is what happens in Jonah chapter three, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Our God is just and righteous and holy, but our God is also benevolent and loving and merciful. I am so grateful that he is both of those things. And his righteousness drives him, his justness drives him to say, hey, I won't put up with evil too long. That's why we see in the Old, Old Testament where it looks like God is mean and hateful. But what we see is God lets people, their cup of iniquity got to a certain place. Their evil got to a place where his righteousness can't stand it any longer. And he has to do something because he's just. But his mercy reaches out and goes, man, but I wanna provide a way. That's why he sent Jonah. Because he says, I, want, I don't want to do this to these people. I wanna give them a chance. So what, what happened? His heart responded to them. He saw, did you, I want you to remember what it says. He saw what they did. He didn't see what they intended to do. He didn't see what they, what they thought might be best. None of those things matter. What matters is what we actually do. It doesn't matter if we think church is a good thing. It doesn't matter if we think God's all right. What matters is what we do. And what we do is what is evidence of what is in our hearts. And God responds to that. And what we see, this word relent, it could be interpreted as changed his mind, but really what it means is God saw them and he was moved by them. These lost people, God was moved by them. He had compassion on them. He turned from what he was going to do. Unfortunately, there are consequences in the world we live in for our actions, for what we do, what we say. And the storms that are attracted to the sin, the unrepentant sin, this is a way that, that God deals with evil in our hearts. And it's not to crush us, it's to bring us to repentance and to reconcile us. And the truth is, heaven and hell are real. We don't talk much about heaven and hell. It makes us uncomfortable. But it's true. Well, we see Jonah, he comes to town and he didn't speak with very much love, but he spoke with lots of truth. He said, 40 days and this town is gonna be overthrown. We'll get into more of that next week, but he spoke truth. And that truth was received by the people of, of Nineveh. One of the problems we have in John chapter one, we see at the very beginning of John 1, it's describing Jesus and it's talking about him 
with the word, the Greek word lagos, and it's talking about the word. And it says, in the, be- in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And it's talking about Jesus when it talks about the word. And then it gets a little further down into verse 14, and it says more specifically about Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. And Jonah, as a prophet, spoke truth with not very much grace. In the world we live in today, we love to receive grace, and we love to speak truth, we love to tell people our opinions and this is why you're wrong and I'm just speaking truth. You might not like it. This might be offensive to you, but I just call it like I see it. We love to say things like that. But the reality is we need to flip that. We need to allow more truth to come into us and allow more grace to go out of us. And if we did, the world would be a better place. I think, I think relationships would be healthier. I think God would be glorified. Because like Jonah, we love to speak truth, but we don't love to speak grace. We love to receive it though. And the reality is what changed the Ninevites, what changed this, the, this culture and these people was the truth that God was speaking to them. They received it. Because in Jonah chapter three, verse four, he says, yet 40 days and the Nineveh will be overthrown. This word overthrown in the Hebrew language is hafach. And this word means to overthrow or overturn, but it also means to turn. So it doesn't just mean to overthrow. If I was to flip this table over, I would overthrow it. But it also means I could turn it in a different direction. And so Jonah preached in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. It's going to be overturned. And the people were receptive to that because of all the stuff that had happened up to this point. And maybe in your life today, you feel a little bit like your world has been overturned. Some things haven't happened like you expected them to. Maybe you got a diagnosis you didn't expect. Maybe you got news about your children you didn't expect. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe your hours got cut. Whatever it is, but your world has been overturned. And what the Ninevites didn't understand is God had overturned some things in their life so that they would turn their life over to him. So they would be receptive to go, I want to hear this truth and I'm going to respond to this truth. This this word, the same word is used in the book of Psalms. So in the book of Psalm chapter 30, David, he he wrote this psalm for the dedication of the temple. Now David wasn't alive at the dedication of the temple. So what they believe is he probably wrote it and it was read after his death. And at the dedication of the temple, you would think that he'd be talking about this building He'd be talking about what's going to happen there, but that wasn't really the case. If you look at Psalm 30, uh, it's more about who God is, which is totally appropriate. And in Psalm 30, 11, he says this about God. He says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing and have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. He has said, you have turned, you have overturned the mourning that was in my life. The culture of my life was mourning and you have overturned that. And you've overturned that in such a way that now you've turned it into dancing. That's who our God is. Just like the king took off his robe of authority and put on sackcloth, what David says here is, hey, you've taken off my sackcloth and you've clothed me, you robed me with gladness. That is who our God is. He is in the business of turning things but we have to be open to receiving his truth. (laughs) 
the difference between Jonah and the Ninevites is they didn't, one trusted God and one didn't. Jonah didn't trust God. He said, go. And Jonah said, no, I know better than you. I'm gonna do something else. When God spoke to the Ninevites, the question was, do you trust me? And they said, yes, we believe. And the question we're facing today is the same question they faced. Do you believe? Is there something going on in your life? Are there storms that have come through that maybe God is trying to prepare you for a truth that he wants you to hear? Not to crush you, not to punish you, but to reconcile you. And if so, will you trust him? Will you let go of the violence that's in your hand? Turn from the evil that may be in your heart. Because that's what he's inviting you to today. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you love us with a love beyond comprehension. And God, you are righteous and holy and just, but you're also merciful and benevolent and loving. So God, I pray today we would see both of those things at work in our lives. God, we would receive both your grace and your truth today. And I pray for those that are here that are struggling. Maybe there are people here that have been through some storms. I pray that their eyes would be opened clearly to anything you would speak into them or to them. I pray that they would receive it with gladness. Lord, I pray that you would turn mourning into dancing in this place. You would, you would clothe us, not in sackcloth, but in gladness today. So God, turn our lives in the direction you would navigate them in. I pray for those that are here that don't know you, those that are watching online who don't know you, let today be the day that we surrender it all to you, that we say yes to you, when, when the question is asked, do you trust God? We can say yes. Yes, we believe God. So Lord, I pray that that would make all the difference. I pray for those that are here that are maybe going through a storm. God, help them hear clearly your voice, your truth, your love. Have your way among us today. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just wanna ask if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really walking with God. The truth is maybe I've been a little bit more like Jonah than I have been the Ninevites. And I don't know if I've really trusted God the way I need to, but, but today I'm saying yes to God. I'm saying yes to him. I'm gonna trust him with my life. I'm tired of the storms I've been going through and I'm ready to hear his truth and say yes to him. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, and you wanna say yes to God today, would you just slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. Over here on my left, who else would say yes? Include me in that prayer, Mel. I wanna say yes to God today. Yeah, thank you. In the balcony, I see you. Who else would join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Today is my day. I wanna say yes to God. I wanna surrender it all to him. All right. I want everybody in this place and every person watching online, I want you to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. So repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and forgiving your only son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use it for your glory and help me live a life full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, uh, the word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so whether you're watching this live or later, whatever the case is, we wanna help you take the next step. We wanna help those of you in the room to take the next step as well. And the simplest thing to do if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it is to simply text the word different to the number 94000. So that's different to 94000. When you do that, we're gonna take, um, take your information and get you a Bible in the mail. We're gonna get you some resources to help you take the next step. If you're here in the room, there's a couple things you can do. Uh, you can text the word different to 94000 or you can grab one of our prayer cards that's in the seat back in front of you. They also have them at the uh, tables on either side as you're exiting today. And uh, those prayer cards on one side said need prayer and the other side it says salvation. And if you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation, we're gonna help you take the next step. So thank you so much for those of you that responded today and prayed that prayer with us. I really believe it's gonna be the greatest decision in your entire life. So thank you so much. Um, usually at the end of service, we've got our prayer team available. Uh, we're not doing that for right now, just to exercise caution, but that doesn't mean we stop praying. We're gonna to continue to be praying. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, the simplest thing for you to do is to email your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church. Let us know about your prayer need. And our prayer team, our prayer chain, our staff will all be praying with you and agreeing with you about whatever may be going on in your life. So let us know about that. If you're watching online and you'd like to respond uh, for live prayer, just hit the live prayer button on our, uh, on our online platform. And our prayer team is gonna join you right there. So don't wait, you can do that right now. So guys, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I really do appreciate it. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.